1: 子供の男
2: Welcome to Out of the Blue on this sunny Sunday morning. I'm Donna and on the panel today is Heather and we've also got Fum in the studio and today we are interviewing Cade Mills from the Victorian National Parks Association and we've also got a little fairy friend joining us in the studio today as well, Bonnie, my dog. Bonnie! Um, you are listening to Out of the Blue on 855am 3CR and we'll be back in just a sec with today's show.
1: Hi, my name's Sarah. I love coming here because they offer vegan food.
3: Hi, my name's Paul. This is my first time at Friends of the Earth. I think it's really awesome and the food's great and really healthy and nutritious. <laughs> Friends of the Earth Food Co op, 312 Smith Street, Collingwood. A tuneful experience.
2: A 3CR supporter. Welcome back to eight five five AM three CR. You're listening to Out of the Blue, and a special welcome this morning to Cade Mills. Thanks for joining us.
3: Oh, not a problem, problem at all. Thanks, Donna.
2: Cool. So we're here to talk about the nudibrank survey that's coming up in a couple of weeks. What can you tell us about it? Well, first of all, how did it is, all come about?
3: <laughs> uh, look, to be honest, I'm. I guess this should come with a. Um, caveat i'm not a nudibranch expert in any way shape or form there's a lot of people in victoria and around the country that know a hell of a lot more than i do but uh, working at the victorian national parks association as the reef watch coordinator we want to run a lot of citizen science events and i'd seen people at nelson bay um the gold coast in sydney had been running the sea slug census and so it's through southern cross university up there and i saw their idea and went this looks fantastic. Can we be a franchise, basically? So I got in touch with Professor Steve Smith, who's one of the co-founders of it, and suggested that we have a look at running it in Melbourne. And he said, hell yeah, go for it. Great idea. So we put in for a little bit of funding to try and get it off the ground to see how it would work. And this is... The first year that we're having it in melbourne so it's a bit of a, a test and a pilot to see how much interest there is and what sort of feedback we get and yeah two weeks away i'm frantically running around trying to get things organized we've got a barbecue down at blair Gowry on the sunday starting at about two o'clock going for however long it needs to and the idea is to just get all the nudie nerds together so they can <laughs> share their stories and their photos and the places that they have found them and it's just a way of i guess documenting the diversity of these creatures
0: and where is the the barbecue exactly? Is it at the Yacht squadron? It's at the
3: Blair Gower Yacht Squadron. They've right. um, given us the barbecue area downstairs and they've also given us a room upstairs where if people bring their images and stuff, I'll have a computer there and we can start downloading and start looking at these and getting ID'd on the spot if they're interested in knowing.
2: For our listeners who aren't too sure what a nudibranch is, can we have a bit of a description from you? Well, it's actually
3: a sea slug census and a nudibranch, I guess, falls into that group of sea slugs. And... I guess loosely the best way to describe them is that they're snails that have either lost their shell or have reduced their shell. So they're either not visible or they're sort of reasonably translucent or um, small. And as Fum liked me saying is that if you see it in the salt water and it looks like a slug, it's most likely a slug. It could also be a it could also be a flatworm. I was told to point out that it, flatworms are quite similar in that they look rather slug-like um, and they have some fantastic colours, the same as nudibranchs. They look quite amazing. But nudibranchs, and you've probably heard this before, of the name coming from nudie being naked and branchia referring to their gills. And so it's naked gills, which are, they have sort of on their back. Um, and they also have little rhinophores, which are basically their noses, which I actually looked that up too. And so, rhinophore means nose. So, rhino is nose, and the four is actually carrier. So, they're basically nose carriers. And it's, they have, these little rhinophores sort of towards the tip of their head and they use them to smell them. Basically, smelling underwater is obviously a lot different than it is on land, but it's the similar thing in that it's detecting chemicals in there. So they use it to smell their food, their prey and potentially predators as well, I'm guessing.
2: Hmm. And with the survey coming, well, it's been in other states previously been run. Have they noticed, do you know about the history of that, like how long it's been running for in other states and what they've been finding?
3: Yeah, so at Port Stevens where it sort of started off... Um, Um, i guess southern cross uni being not far from there uh they've been going for about 12 years and it basically just started as a competition between uh Professor mm-hmm. Steve Smith and one of his PhD students or a student and it was <laughs> how many nudies can we go out and take <laughs> photos of? And so they were just sort of competing with each other at this one location at Port Stephens, um, Fly Point Halifla- Halifax, if you've ever been up there diving. If you haven't, go up there. They're beautiful.
1: Mm.
3: And they basically had a lot of interest from other people, watching what they were doing and probably hearing the conversations, going, oh, we we're quite into that too. Let's join in. So they started the event then. And so last year they did it, I think they've documented... I could be wrong, but it might be over 200 species sort of in that place over the 12 years. and last year they found 12 species that they know have extended their range so they're generally found in warmer waters and they're starting to turn up in port stevens now and so really starting to get a better idea of their distribution and then also when they're moving beyond their distribution and a lot of research these days is going into sort of climate change and that affects you know that affecting where things are being found in new places now and so nudies are probably a pretty good example and one to sort of work with and i mean we're starting at the bottom here this is to sort of trying to get a baseline of information it's not to say there's not other information out there but with what we're doing we'll be able to sort of get a baseline that we can then work upon and get people to sort of trickle information through as it comes in and you know run the census annually so it gives us some idea of changes over time
0: Hmm. great so who's getting on board with this in victoria is it uh, like the fish count where we all sign up and uh we go and get um, some dive buddies together and we just jump in or how how this is organized
3: Yeah that became one of the hiccups in as far as the um, insurance when people get in the water so it's basically a, and you're a, you're leading yourself out there. So groups are getting together. So a lot, of, a lot of dive stores have got behind it. If you jump onto the VPA website, um, there's prizes for you know the people who find the most species, the best image. Also, if anyone documents unusual behaviour and we get that in images, uh, so we've had. Uh, i can't reel off all the dive stores but there's probably about eight or ten dive stores that have donated prizes the eco center have kindly donated a prize as well the aquarium have given family passes seal dolphin swims um have given a couple of days out swimming with dolphins to encourage people to get on board so there's been really good support from sort of dive groups and sort of people all over the um all over the state um and it's I could have forgot the question now. <laughs> how do we go about it? Oh, how do you go about because, it? Yeah,
0: if yes. I want to go and do a sea slug census, so what do I need to do?
3: So technically, you jump online, there's the details, but technically it starts at midnight on Saturday <laughs> the 21st. Yeah, maybe not. But yeah, no, sorry, it's, it starts on, <laughs> Yeah. No, not midnight on the 21st. It starts at, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. one on o'clock the- in the morning, basically, on the <laughs> Saturday night, if you want to start then, yeah. and just goes through for the 24 hours. So it's any images that people take over that time that they submit to us sort of within a week. Um, and it can be anywhere. So. A lot of people have been getting in touch and are quite excited because the fish count, you kind of have to get in the water to count the fish, whereas a sea slug census, and I've organised it so the low tides are in the middle of the day. If you enjoy your rock pool rambling...
0: <laughs> you
2: organise the tides. Yeah, low tides. Yeah, that
3: yeah. pretty yeah, awesome. Yeah, no, I've, Thanks i Thanks for that. Yeah. It makes
0: everything so much easier.
3: Yeah, well, look, if you need them changed in future, just get in touch. I, <laughs> do. I'll have a chat to my man about it. Yeah, or oh, my woman. I'm not sure who it is, yeah. But... I've organised it so that the low tides are in the middle of the day. So I chose the dates around the tides. And so a lot of people are actually going out there and just going rock pool rambling. Um, a lot of them are being found uh, found intertidally, And so the book that you've got in front of you there, Farmers, Nudie Branks and Their Allies, I believe.
0: Nudibranch uh, and Related Mollusks by yes. Robert Byrne. And
3: so Robert Byrne is an absolute champion. He's probably in his late 80s. He's a building contractor by trade and a nudibranch lover by night almost. <laughs> He's published, I think, over like 100 papers to do with sort of taxonomy and lives down in Torquay. And I was chatting to him recently and he went out and in one low tide at Point Lonsdale, him and a mate found 45 species. In Although the What? In... A low tide area, oh, so yeah, yeah, yeah. not in the one rock pool but just throughout that whole low tide and Bob sort of pointed out that his mate was pretty much useless so it was mostly him <laughs> <laughs> but at that same location over time he's found over 100 species at the one spot That's amazing. and this is just intertidally he doesn't dive or snorkel or anything yeah. so you know anyone can sort of get on board and the idea is just go out there with a the camera take photos of anything you see that you think is a sea slug or a nudibranch, and sort of post them in, it's the email's on the um VMPA website, but it's Melbourne Sea Slug Census at gmail.com. And then the crew from Southern Cross University have the taxonomic expertise to be able to identify the photos and we'll put together a little sheet at the end. And the plan is actually to hopefully have a poster of all the sea slugs that are found in Melbourne. Um, well, sorry, not all of them, but some of them. And then that way people can put it up behind their toilet door and while they're at work, they can um, learn some sea slug ID cool. while they're at it.
0: Oh, that happens and at the eco-centre plenty. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we learn a lot from whatever is on the toilet door that's, on the inside. It's <laughs> the perfect spot, yeah. <laughs> we always have stuff on there.
2: Yeah. Kate, are there any invasive nudibranch um, species that we need to know about or should be looking out
0: for?
3: Yeah, there are. And as I pointed out at the start of the show, I'm not a nudibranch okay. expert, so <laughs> off the top of my head, I can't tell you what they are. But there are you a few species like? that are quite common. Uh,
0: like colours or anything? Yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> they're really pretty <laughs> and they've they got these have, rhinophores yeah they've got these naked gills on their back no there's some that have like an orange and red kind of spots on a translucent sort of white body mm-hmm. um, and I actually oh, and often quite a bit of black on them as well and I'd had been looking through some photos or someone had been looking through some photos for me from the Operation Sponge project that mm-hmm. it was involved in and I had really good photos of them having sex that I'd forgotten oh I'd God. taken. Yeah. <laughs> so you can actually see sort of close up like, you need to know what you're looking at. It's not that pornographic. It's safe for the internet. But um, you can actually see it. And so they're an introduced species that was discovered. I think it was over about 10 years ago by some of the reefwatch divers. Um, where did they discovered.
0: come from? Is it like the Northern Pacific Sea Star where they came in with ballast water? or
3: That is believed to be the so? There's over 100 introduced species in Port Phillip Bay. Yeah, and yeah. most mm-hmm. of them tend to have come in from ballast water or... Yeah generally from ballast water so i imagine that's probably the case um their larvae sort of stages varies with them some will sort of you know they lay the eggs and they'll crawl out almost semi-formed others will spend some time drifting around in the larvae and some will spend quite a bit of time actually feed in their larval phase as well so they can spend a lot longer and survive yeah
0: yeah, so that's that's a really good thing to do as well because obviously if we if you know with climate change we wanna we wanna track what comes into the bay and how things change but especially those invasive species are really important to uh, notice and then report. So um, do do you report it to Parks Victoria or how does that go if you if, if you find an invasive species of sea slug?
3: Yeah, so from that we will I guess probably the museum would be one of the first spots to you know just double check and make sure yes yep, it's introduced probably have to go out and get a sample because the museum likes all their things pickled um <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then yeah places like parks would be the ones to keep them informed you know parks have been helping us out with this project as well they've provided some support and time and that so yeah we'll let everyone know Great.
0: So will there be, because um, you said you were, uh, were thinking about making a poster or something like that at the end of the uh, of the sea slugs, will there be any uh, results online that we can have a look at? Like are you going to post any of the nicest photos? Or
3: yeah. so I haven't worked out whether to do like a live Facebook feed and have mm-hmm. all the prizes so people can actually watch and the prizes be announced online. It's an, probably an easy way to get people to sort of connect with it as opposed to trying to do it in... A meeting room or something yeah. like that it's a bit hard for people to make it um, and then there is a report produced at the end of it so it will be you know this species was spotted 14 times these are the locations that it was found this species is not has never been previously seen in victoria before so it's potentially new and that's the i guess the advantage of having southern cross uni on board is that They have a lot of that background information and the knowledge with the um, nudibranchs. And we've also got the museum involved as well, so they'll be able to help us out with that. That'll all be published, so that'll probably end up as a PDF document that I'll send out to everyone that's been involved, um, and then also just put it up online for people that are interested. And the plan is we'll do that every year, so we'll actually sort of start developing a good, I guess, encyclopedia of the nudibranchs that are around. Not to say that we don't already have one, (laughs) but it's just, uh, I guess, keep it up to date and keep it sort of alive.
0: Yeah, that's right, because it's a snapshot in time, isn't it? I mean, yeah. this book was published a fair few years ago, I gather. So, um, it would be good to see where we are at. And
3: from what I understand, Bob's sitting on a whole lot of species that are yet to be identified. You know, as I oh, said, wow. he has another job yeah. <laughs> and other things to do. And you know, I think there's over four hundred species I seem to think in Victoria that are sort of currently identified, but you know, there's every chance that there's that many that haven't been identified and um, one of the things from talking to Bob he was saying and I was mentioning the sea slug census and he's like divers it's like all they'll do is take photos of the big pretty ones and he's <laughs> like the ones I want to know are like fingernail size and a few mil he's like so a lot of the new species in that he's finding a tiny little thing mm. so the, you, know, you find them on little hydroids and things like that and often people will take a photo to someone saying oh what's that hydroid and he's like I don't care about the hydroid. What's that little nudie <laughs> rank thing that's even smaller than the hydroid on the side? Yeah. So I guess the part of it would be to encourage people to look really closely, like to slow right down when you're diving. And it's one thing to see the ones that are, you know, there's some of them out that are as big as a football at Blair Garry, some massive what? big sort of Yeah, sea hairs. They're enormous. But there are a lot of them, and most of them and the diversity will be in those really, really tiny ones. So mm, look in yeah. areas they don't like sun much. So you know, look in areas that are perhaps shaded, um, look for whether it's hydroids, which are sort of like little stinging cells, any little flowery type things are potentially around them. Um, there's a few species that are known to actually like eat the stinging cells off the hydroids mm-hmm. and then pass it through their body and then pop it out on their tip and use it as a defense mm-hmm. Yeah, which is, they
0: also use the toxins of uh
3: what they eat yeah, yeah. Of whatever they eat yeah, yeah so yeah. sponges bryozoans and stuff they all sort of put that mm-hmm. toxins through and i was listening to something recently it was a podcast I was listening to and a guy was talking about research he did in Antarctica and he found these little shrimp that had little backpacks on and so he collected all these things and some had backpacks some didn't and got them into the lab and realized that they weren't backpacks actually pteropods which is a type of sea slug and what they did is, is an experiment they took the little pteropods off put the shrimp in a tank with fish and the fish just went yum 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 ate all the shrimp left the ones that had the pteropods on put them in the tank with a fish the fish took about a mouthful and just went, <laughs> spat it out <laughs> and so not only is the pteropod protected from what it had but it was the shrimp was using it using up its energy to carry this thing around basically as a defense yeah. so it was one of the first examples of that so yeah there's a yeah. whole lot of cool stuff with them yeah it's
0: pretty amazing those sea hares. i um when i was doing my masters in europe uh, we actually did a on a field trip i did an experiment like that where we caught a few sea hares, and we put them in a tank in uh, in the lab with a bunch of uh, anim- anemones and just left them in there for 24 hours and and then afterwards, we would um, take some of those papillae that they grow on their backs, where they keep those stinging cells, and from the and then put that under the microscope, and from watching. Uh, which stinging cells and the shape of the particular stinging cells we could then look up in the field guides which anemones they had been eating hmm. so that was telling us something about you know their their um their diet basically yeah. in the sea which was super interesting yeah
3: and they have really specific diets too so a lot of them will only feed on the one species
0: yeah and you can find them on sponges a lot here in port phillip bay right yeah like sponges
3: and bryozoans too yeah yeah are quite sort of popular spots for them to hang out and chew through there's one that's quite a pretty pink one that you'll see on a pink sponge and it looks exactly like the sponge it's not unless you stop and then often people will take what they think is a photo of one and they get back and have a look, and there's like a dozen there. Yeah, it's just they're so well disguised. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. And sometimes, like in in Rob's book, um, it also it also lists some of those uh, sponges that they're so dependent on. So, for example, um, I was diving or snorkeling actually with a buddy at Mushroom Reef a few months ago, and the water was crystal clear. And all of a sudden, we see this tiny little nudibranch just swimming upwards in the water column, and it was only about twenty five millimeters long, super purple. Uh, with a bright, bright orange rim around it. And it was swimming like a flatworm. And um, yeah, just going up in the water column and then coming down again. And it was super confusing because you don't really expect a nudie branch to swim like a flatworm. Well, you know, most people wouldn't, but even a nerd like me wouldn't expect that. So um, yeah, I looked it up and uh, it was actually a batwing slug, (laughs) which seems a really Mm. badass sort of... Name for such a tiny little beautifully coloured creature, but um sure. And um as I researched it in, in the book, it actually says that it lives on a, a particular um, a white coloured sponge. So it can actually be that specific, right? That only one nudibranch feeds on one particular species of sponge.
3: Yeah, and that's... I mean, that'll be one of the great things to come out of the census is with images, you actually get to see what they're on and mm. whereabouts. And, you know, then... There are people that know a bit more about the distribution of some of the things that they're using as food. And it's also a great way of telling people, if you want to go and see some nudibranchs, look yeah, at these look at particular this things, yeah, and yeah. this is where you're going to find them. So it's sort of, you know, this is the first year, but it will help people learn a lot more as we go through in time. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting, and also from a conservation perspective, I think. I mean, if you obviously, if, if an area becomes uh, uninhabitable to sponges, then you know you, you run a, a big risk of of losing these other species, of which these particular species of nudibranch could be could be one. So it's quite important to uh, to do this kind of research, I think, and have as many as much photographic evidence as possible to get a I guess the bigger picture of what's going on.
3: Yeah they're very susceptible to environmental change basically Mm -hmm. so if there's any kind of disturbance of their habitat and loss of that habitat you're going to lose the nudibranch as well and if you didn't know that there was that association to begin with you don't really know what you're losing and I think that's often the case with a lot of the marine critters that we have they're also small and understudied and underappreciated and underlooked at and the whole idea of the census to get people out and just slow down a bit and have a bit of a look you'll probably see a whole lot of crabs and worms and amphipods and all these things that you haven't seen as well as hopefully a couple of sea slugs yeah. while you're at it. And you just get an idea of how complex these environments are just yeah. from looking at the smaller stuff.
0: And what I like about these guys as well is that uh, when you do a night dive, you'll see totally different species. So, you know, if you're a diver and you're listening and thinking about going into the water that weekend, I um, can definitely recommend doing two dives. If you're an experienced night diver, bring your uh, your underwater torch with a 1,000 lumen and... Uh, <laughs> And go and have a look around because the, the reef and the, the the piers just totally transform at night, and it's like a totally different ecosystem with all this different stuff coming out. And I know from from diving in Europe, we have, and I think we have them here too. Maybe up north, um, the Spanish dancer flatworm. Yeah, I think you heard of that one? Yeah. 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 So that's that's a it's not a nudie branch, but um, it's it's a flatworm that. It's quite huge, can be up to 40 centimeters or 45 centimeters, Um, and it is bright red with often a white sort of rim around it and it only comes out at night and when it's it's disturbed by light or something else it will actually swim in the water column and it will uh it will do that in a way it it flaps its mantle around and it looks like a beautiful flamenco dancer and that's why it's called the uh, the spanish dancer but you don't see them during the day so Mm -hmm. what do you what do you reckon kate lots of uh, uh other different species of nudibranch at night
3: Yeah, they tend to be... And I was saying earlier, or Bob had said, is they don't really like the daylight. Mm. So if you are out during the day, look at your ledges or under your piers and those places where you don't have sort of direct sunlight. And obviously, come night time... Maybe that's why that other one was called a bat one. Although you saw it at day, yeah, I saw they it are in kind the daytime. of bat-like in their behaviour in that sense. Maybe they're all vampires. Who knows? <laughs> but
0: Vampiric on sponges—that's <laughs> yes. for sure. Yeah. Well, they—they they
3: do. Some nudibranchs will eat other nudibranchs as well, yeah. and they will also eat themselves, like uh, the same species, not themselves. Yeah, that obviously. To the point, but yeah. Although so
0: sometimes to- it's a—you uh, uh, know—you're not really sure what you're looking at because you were talking before about because I've seen them mate as well. Um where you think like, oh that's a nudie branch. Hang on. Is that two nudie branch? Is that three nudie branches? Maybe it's four nudie branches. Um, so what do you know about the their ecology and their their oh,
3: very, sexy little, very little, but I did go down a bit of a wormhole <laughs> last night in preparation for today, just thought oh, I better have some stories to tell. <laughs> and sex is obviously one of the best ones to go to. Heather, um, Heather's
2: done three stories on <laughs> sex in the sea, can't on get of it. The yeah. of it.
1: <laughs> just reminding everyone we do podcast. Definitely listen to them. Yeah, Yeah,
3: it's awesome. Yeah. And so nudiburic sex is the same as most stuff in the sea. It's really kinky and kind of... Weird. Yeah. yeah, Not to them it's not. (laughs) (laughs) It's just for us putting labels on it, basically. I shouldn't say that. But, yeah, they are hermaphroditic, and the um, thing with them is that they will basically have sex with each other at the same time um, and then kind of walk away or crawl away pregnant. Uh, they will also have, so
0: they'll both be pregnant. Yes,
3: yeah, so they both have penises and they mm-hmm. both have vaginas and they will both insert each penis into each vagina and right. then off they go. Thanks for the thanks for coming. So to speak, <laughs> there has been stories of um, like three doing a similar thing and wow. up more. So they sort of you know get into the group action as well. Um, there's ones that have detachable penis... So they'll basically just have the sex leave it and just sort of drifts off that's no good to me yeah, 24 hours later they it can, anyway. <laughs> 24 hours later they can grow another one and do it again and I was again I think it was this morning I was reading there's one three times in three times in about 36 hours wow yeah able to have sex in three different penises so it's pretty impressive
0: yeah but that would also be very seasonal I reckon like he wouldn't be doing that the whole year round surely I, I'd be very impressed here. if it was yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, they weren't
3: able to interview him to get an idea of his stamina <laughs> <laughs> but within that time he was fine yeah so and i mean some have barbed penises as well the idea is that they can basically they're not you're not getting out once (laughs) you're there and there was another one i was reading that has a forked penis and so it will basically do its business at one end and then it uses a hook at the end to basically stab into the head and they'll do that to each other wow that's pretty kinky yeah yeah and Yes. Look, there's more, but I think you should save it for the sex podcast. Yeah. We've got some information Definitely, for we'll
1: get you back on the show and yes. talk about sea yeah. slug like sex. see yes. part but, four, okay, yeah. coming up later in the year. <laughs> <But> <laughs>
3: Sealed they, edition. Yes, but they may actually do it, I guess, do it. They may do it quite frequently in the sense that most of them, well, from a lot of the information out there, they don't tend to have very long life cycles. They tend to be around for about a year or so, is what's sort of known. Um, again, it's... There's probably some that may live longer. There's probably some that don't live as long. Um, Not quite sure. Um, And I guess that's part of it too. It would be interesting to hopefully people will start to track some of these species, that they'll go out during the sea slug census, but also at other times when they're out there and sort of take photos and we'll get some idea of potentially that seasonal variability in them because we are only going out at one time a year. I've been told now's not really the best time because um, mm. the spider crabs have started to come in at yes. Blair Garry and, and when they, eat they come in, they tend to disturb and eat sort of everything. Mm. Um, so numbers may be down, but just throws a challenge out. People have to look harder yeah, and look in different right. locations. Blairgowrie may not be the um, mecca that it used to be yeah, or that it usually is.
0: Well, uh, uh, you're right about the seasonality. So I, I remember diving Blairgowrie and seeing those, um, I think they were the yellow ones with the blue spots. And then you keep seeing those and egg cases as well. So the spirals of the of the yellow eggs and then a few weeks later, nothing. Yeah, yeah, it's it's very gone. boom and bust. Yeah, when absolutely. they're
3: there, they're there, and yeah, otherwise they're really difficult to find. yeah.
0: yeah. All right, Kate, thank you so much for coming in and talking about the sea slug sensors for us. Um, We're going to wrap up soon, and um, so if you want to participate in the sea slug census, have a look at the Victoria National Parks Association website for all the instructions, and it's going to be happening on the twenty first and the twenty second of April that weekend. Um, so, get on board and photograph some sea slugs and send them to seaslugsensors at gmail.com. Is that right?
3: I think it's Melbourne Sea Slug Melbourne Sea Slug Sensors at, gmail.com.
0: at yeah. gmail.com. Go to the website and have a look, and we will be posting a link on uh, the Facebook page of Out of the Blue as well. Uh, so, thanks for coming in, Kate.
3: Oh, thanks for inviting me in. It was great.
1: And uh, Heather, you want to make another exciting announcement? I am going to make it incredibly quickly because I know Sally's going to be joining us in the studio soon. Um, but we have our Out of the Blue Annual Fundraising Trivia Night. It's going to be on Wednesday, May the 23rd at Highlander, which is where we've held it the last couple of years. Um, We have an event on our Facebook page, so check it out, buy your tickets, get a team together. It's going to be an absolutely amazing night and we've got so many organisations who have already supported us with some fantastic prizes. So we'll be posting those up so you know what you could win. Get on board,
0: everybody. I need more people on my team. Contact me. (laughs) (laughs) I need geography and sports people, please.
1: Well, that's it for today. Thank you very much for joining us on Out of the Blue on 3CR 855 AM. You could be listening online on digital radio or podcasting as well. So coming up next is Sally with Out of the Pan. Enjoy your day.